You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Mark. Thank you, Orchestra. Thank you, Ms. Phoebe. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter number 8 with me this morning. And uh, we're excited to talk about how we can strive together. And we're going to be talking this morning about striving together to reach souls. Uh, to reach souls. And uh, praise God for the opportunity we have to do so, uh, to minister together. And uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1. We're going to look at the first eight verses together uh, here this morning. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and haley men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the great joy that comes when people are reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great joy that we can have in our heart, because we know the wonderful joy that comes to the pardon and forgiveness of sin. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have as a local church, as a body of believers, to strive together, to work together. And Lord, we have many purposes and many ways we can do so. Lord, I believe we focus this morning on that pinpoint center of your purpose for us. Lord, since you left this earth, Ascended to heaven, leaving your spirit here. Lord, I know your purpose has been that we follow your mandate, which is to seek and to save that which is lost. And Lord, as we talk about this morning how we can strive together to reach souls. Lord, as we look at the pattern of the book of Acts, Lord, would you encourage us and stir us. Lord, I pray you'd place in our hearts and our minds those that we know that need the gospel. Maybe friends, maybe family members, maybe co-workers that, uh, we that we would have a heart to tell them about Jesus. Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning, Lord, that does not know you yet in that pardon and forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that today, today they would see you. Today they would understand their need. Today they would call upon you. Lord, help me this morning to preach or write your truth. Lord, would you be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I'm going to talk this morning about striving together to reach souls. As we come to the end of our study and our focus on this theme uh, for 2023, we have seen many ways that we work together, many ways that we strive together in fulfilling the purpose of God for this local body of believers, for us individually. And as we think about striving together to reach souls with the gospel, 
the passion and prayer of Gene Bartlett, which is recorded in that hymn, Set My Soul Afire, is still needed today. In that song, he penned the words, Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for thy word. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. As we consider God's mandate, and by the way, it is the mandate of God. The mandate of God that we reach people with the gospel as we focus here just for a little bit this morning on this first century church in Jerusalem, and as we focus a little bit on Philip as well here, as we learn this, I want to give you some thoughts that uh, if you want to pin them down to help you, you can. But number one, we see the scattering of the saints. In verses 1 through 8, we find out that these believers in Jerusalem started to be scattered. They started to scatter forth. How many of you have ever picked up a dandelion that was dying and turning white and maybe as a kid you picked it up and and you blew those seeds be sure you blow them onto your neighbor's yard that's the way to do it and uh, get them off your yard but they scatter and the wind carries them we see here in the book of acts that those believers in jerusalem they did not just stay there in jerusalem but god God picked them up, and God used the winds of persecution, and God used the winds of attack and allowed that for His glory to scatter the believers. And we see that here in our text. They began to scatter. They began to leave Jerusalem. They began to go to the regions beyond. They were scattered by severe persecution, verses 1 through 3. We see Saul. Now, we know that name, Saul. You say, Pastor Rice, I've heard of Saul. Uh, or Paul, uh, called both names in the New Testament. I've heard of him. He was a preacher. He, he was a missionary. He was an evangelist. And all those things are true. But can I tell you who he was before he met the Lord Jesus Christ? He was an enemy of the gospel. He was a mighty weapon and a mighty tool in the hand of the devil. And we read here in these first three verses how Paul was going and going in people's homes and pulling them out and taking them to jail and causing issues uh, because they were following Christ. There was a great persecution. James chapter 1 tells us, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. They were scattered by severe persecution. Now, had you been there or had I been there during that time, we would have said, man, this persecution is horrible. It's terrible. It's bad. And by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't good as far as the world was concerned. But I love the fact that God can take what the devil wants to do for evil and God can do good. It was that persecution that caused the Christians to be dispersed. Not only were they scattered by severe persecution, uh, but they were scattered, but still preaching. Scattered, but still preaching. Letter B. We see that in verses 4 through 8. Look down in verse 25. In verse 25 it says, and, and they, when they had testified, 
and preach the word of the Lord. Return to Jerusalem and preach the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. The verbiage here in this passage in the book of Acts shouldn't surprise us. They were scattered abroad. The persecution was pushing them around. But I love the fact that even in the persecution, they were still preaching. They could not be stopped. How many of you are old enough to remember the Energizer Bunny commercials? My people right there. Remember the Energizer Bunny just keeps going and going and going and going. These Christians just kept going and going. They were persecuted and they were moved somewhere else and they kept preaching. And they were threatened and went somewhere else and they just kept preaching. They kept proclaiming the truth. Another example of God's ability to turn into good what the devil planned for evil. Genesis 50, the Bible says, But as for you, Joseph said to his brothers, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Romans 8.28 is still true when it says, And we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What Saul and the other persecutors of the day thought and what their plan was as they had a plan. Can I tell you, the creator of the universe had a perfect plan to use even the plans of the enemy for his glory. And we see here that God turned it into good. John Phillips said, Satan overreached himself whenever he persecuted the early church by scattering the burning coals of Christian witness he made it possible for fresh fires of testimony to spring up elsewhere and boy what a beautiful thought how wonderful those fires went everywhere they were the fires of the gospel a great characteristic for the lives of the first century Christian was they just let their light shine wherever they were we sing that song with our kids this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. When I get persecuted, I'm going to keep letting it shine. And the gospel went forth. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, a test of your character is what it takes to stop you. These believers just kept speaking truth. Paul described and demonstrated this same commitment. He learned it firsthand from those believers. By the way, have you ever thought about the fact that Paul was a witness of these believers who just kept preaching when they were persecuted? And when God called Paul, Paul followed that same pattern. He kept preaching. Oh, they beat him. They put him in prison. They stoned him. They left him for dead. He was shipwrecked. But he just kept preaching. He just kept going. Number two, this morning, we talked about the scattering of the saints. Number two, we see in verses 26 through 31, the spirit of the soul winner. I want you to look here with me. Verses 26 through 31. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under uh, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, 
and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? We see the spirit here of the soul winner. Philip here went to share Christ with this man from a different culture, a different background, a different belief system. But he went to preach and proclaim Christ. I want to zero in on Philip here as we think about him as a picture of a soul winner. God wants to use us to strive together to reach souls. May we follow the pattern here we have of Philip. What kind of spirit did Philip possess? What kind of man was he? What was the spirit of this particular soul winner, Philip, here in Acts chapter 8? First, I believe we see that letter A, he had a spirit of obedience. So, Pastor, how do you know he had a spirit of obedience? The Spirit spoke to him, told him what to do, and he obeyed. A spirit of obedience. We see that in verses 26 through 28. Now, there are two reasons. Two reasons that you and I, if we're to be effective at sharing Christ and striving together to reach souls, must have a spirit of obedience. First, if we're to be soul winners, uh, the soul winners God wants us to be, uh, the very act of witnessing for Christ is obedience. Ye shall be witnesses, Acts chapter 1.8 says unto me. It, it's, it's obedience. And we need to examine our lives, examine what we're living for and the purpose of our life, and remember why we're here to be uh, and understand that purpose. Dr. Curtis Hudson, I heard Dr. Hudson preach many times, probably, and I've heard this said before, and I believe it. I heard a preacher one time say that if I could gather every person in the world into one place, and if I could have translators there to, to translate into every language, if I could have one person, if I could pick one person to come and, and to present the gospel and preach the gospel to every person at one time, I've heard a preacher say one time, I'd choose Curtis Hudson. Dr. Hudson was a phenomenal preacher of the gospel, a phenomenal soul winner. Been in heaven now since, I believe, about 1995. But Dr. Hudson made this statement. Dr. Hudson said that the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. The only, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. I said, first, we need to be obedient because it's the command of Christ. Second, we need obedience because we need to learn to obey the still, small voice of God. Philip was listening to God's Spirit. We need to be obedient. We see that in verse 26 through 28. We see Philip's obedience a second time in verse 29. There it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near. And join thyself to this chariot. The very next verse, Philip ran thither. He obeyed the voice of God. The Lord seeks for our paths to be able to intersect with others who need this the gospel. That happens when we're obedient. 
when we listen. We pay attention to the leading and directing of the Spirit. God wants us to do so. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We can trust the Lord. We can let Him order each of our steps as we listen, as we obey. I had uh, yesterday, uh, I was told that I looked like D.L. Moody. Uh, Brother Mott, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. But D.L. Moody, Mr. Moody, as he preferred to be called, Mr. Moody told the story of his conversion this way. He said, when I was in Boston, I used to attend Sunday school, a Sunday school class. And one day, I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop. He worked at a shoe store, the shop that I was at work in. And that Sunday school teacher put his hand upon my shoulder and talked to me about Christ and my soul. Mr. Moody said, I had not felt that I had a soul until then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me until just recently, just lately, and he is weeping over my sin. And I never shed a tear about them. But I understand now, said Mr. Moody, and know what it is to have a passion for men's souls. I know what it is to weep over their sin. I don't remember what he said. But he said, I can still feel the power of that man's hand upon my shoulder tonight. Mr. Moody came to Christ because somebody was willing to be obedient to God, to be a witness. And he went to that shoe store and said, I, I should stop in and visit that young man who's in my class. Can I tell you why Mr. Kimball, for that was his name, why Mr. Kimball, that Sunday school teacher, would do so, I believe it was in obedience to the Spirit of God. As he would go there to show the love of Christ. We must have a spirit of obedience. We also must have a spirit of urgency, letter B. We need a spirit of urgency. Verse 30 in our text, And Philip ran thither. Why did he run? This morning as we were coming to church, we saw my wife and I, we saw a couple running on the sidewalk. And I looked at my wife and I said, that could be us. Only we don't want to run. And I was laughing. I said, if you ever see me run, there's a real problem. Uh, I mean, maybe when the food line opens up in a little bit, I'll run. But that's about it. Why did Philip run? He wasn't exercising. He ran because it was urgency. It was the urgency. Uh, he understood the brevity of time. He understood his call was now. John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Charles Peace, a notorious criminal in England, was executed on February 25th, 1879. Just before his execution, an Anglican minister half-heartedly read to him from the consolations of religion. 
Those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release of death can bring. He read it without any concern or care. Charles stopped the minister, this criminal who was going to die. And he said this, this criminal, Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered in broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk all over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Do we really believe the word of God? Do we really believe the urgency? I said we must have a spirit of urgency. Also, let us see, we must have a spirit of boldness. Of boldness. Verse 30, the Bible tells us, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man shall guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and set with Now, I know what you think. I know you imagine when you read about the chariot and you read about Philip going to the chariot, you imagine there's this lone man in a lone chariot and Philip goes up and starts talking with him. I mean, that's pretty easy. Somebody's there by themselves. Man, they're reading. Oh, you're reading. Oh, you're Isaiah. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you who that is. That's Jesus. Talking about Jesus Christ. But I want you to have a true picture of what Philip did. This is a man who was in charge of all the wealth of his country. This was not a man who was traveling by himself. This was a very important man who had a giant caravan, no doubt. I am certain there were armed guards surrounding his chariot. I'm certain that as this Ethiopian eunuch relaxed, if he was relaxed in his chariot reading, uh, he was not alone. There were men standing there with swords waiting to protect him for he was an important man. Huge group of people. With that in mind, think about Philip. Philip runs at him. He runs up to talk to him. Philip had boldness. Why was he bold? Because God told him to go. Christian, why can we be bold? Church, why can we be bold? Because God's told us to go. Philip ran. Most of us would have shrunk in fear. We'd have been worried. But Philip ran. Uh, he had boldness. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. You know, no doubt there are those who will reject the gospel. There are many of you here this morning who at some point before you came to Christ, someone maybe shared the gospel with you and you rejected and rejected and rejected. And there are many who will reject, but that does not mean that we should not be bold for Christ. Philip had boldness. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We need to have boldness. A spirit of boldness. Church, if we are to strive together to reach souls, we have to have a holy boldness. Number three. I said we see the spirit of the soul winner here, but number three, we see the salvation of a soul. 
Look, if you will, at verse 32 to 39. 32 to 39. The place of the scripture which you read was this. He, he was led as a sheep to slaughter. And like a lamb, dumb before his shearers, opening not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? This of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. By the way, let me stop here just for a moment. What the world needs to hear is about Jesus. The world doesn't need to hear about what you think and what you feel. It doesn't need to hear, well, you know, this, I think this is the most important thing and the world needs to know this. If what you think the world needs to hear is, not, is something other than Jesus Christ, you're wrong. Let God be true and every man a liar. Philip preached Jesus. We go on here in this passage. Verse 36, and it says, And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, This is the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. We see the salvation of a soul here. Praise God. Praise God for this one who came to Christ. I love hearing stories of people getting saved. I love hearing testimonies uh, of such. I love hearing about people coming to Christ. I love of hearing how people managed to hear the gospel and how God worked in their heart and how they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks here three specific things about the Ethiopian salvation, this eunuch here we read about in Acts chapter 8. First, we see the significance of Scripture's the significance of scriptures must be understood. Letter A. The scriptures must be understood. That's important. That's important for you and I, believer, if, if we're to strive together to reach souls for Christ, this book needs to be understood. It's a scripture. Not what we say, it's what God says. Needs to be understood. The Bible says that he was reading, and, and Philip said, do you understand what you read? And he said, not really. How can I, except some man guide me? And Philip guided him, and can I tell you where Philip guided him? Directly to Jesus Christ. He guided him directly to Christ. Notice the Ethiopian's decision to believe on Christ began with, and was in response to the Word of God. The Word of God. Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. We would not know our sin and our need for a Savior were not for the Bible. As Mr. Moody said in his testimony, I didn't even know I had a soul. I was never concerned about my sin. He had never been confronted with the Word of God. The Word of God affected this man. 
Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. We would know nothing of God's remedy for sin. We're not for the Bible. We're not for the word of God. Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. We need to remember the power of the word of God when it comes to sharing Christ. The word of God. It's significant. Scripture must be understood. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the Bible. It's God's word. Not only is it the significance that scriptures must be understood, but also let her be the sacrifice of the Savior must be proclaimed. It's not enough to speak, oh, let me tell you how, how Jesus, how he was good. No, it's important, vitally important, that his sacrifice for sin be proclaimed. Verse 34 and 35, the Ethiopian eunuch said, who's this talking about? The sacrifice here, the, the, the sheep who dies. Is, is this the prophet? Is this another man? And Philip said, no. It's Jesus Christ. He preached Christ. He preached that he was the son of God. He preached that he came to die. He preached that he was perfect, that he was sinless. Not that he was just a good man. Not that he was just a prophet. He preached that he was the Savior. And he preached about the Savior who would be sacrificed. How wonderful that is. There are many in the world today that know the name Jesus. They know him historically. I find, it, I find it a bit humorous that there are those who deny Jesus Christ, who spend much time and effort trying to disprove that there even was a Jesus to the point that it makes them look like morons. For every honest historian, secular or not, will tell us, yes, there was a Jesus. There are many who know Jesus. But Jesus needs to be proclaimed as the Savior who was sacrificed. We see that here in this salvation of a soul. This man who came to Christ. Number three, or letter C here. Another thing that we see in the salvation of a soul, we see the step of submission must be taken. This step of submission is not, uh, well, let's look here together. 36, it says, and they went on their way and came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. The Bible doesn't say exactly how this came about. I'm going to a thought here that I want to share with you. But 
I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm not telling you this what the Bible says. I'll step away from the Bible. This is riceology. Can I give you just for a second riceology? How do you think the Ethiopian eunuch knew about baptism? It may have been that Philip explained baptism to him, but can I tell you what I think happened? This Ethiopian eunuch had been in Jerusalem. I believe he had been there and seen people following the Lord in baptism. I believe he had seen what was happening there in Jerusalem and everything clicked and he understood and he said, you know what? I want to I follow the Lord in baptism. Like I saw in Jerusalem, maybe it was Philip explained it. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But we do know that there was a step of submission taken here. The step of submission. By the way, baptism doesn't get anybody to heaven. You can get up here in our baptism here and you can be baptized until you start growing gills uh, and grow a tail and swim around. And that won't get you to heaven. But baptism serves at least three purposes in the lives of a believer. Number one, it identifies us with Christ. It's a way of going public with our faith. Several weeks ago, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, Rebecca probably knows. Uh, several weeks ago, Rebecca and Josh, and actually all the family was at our house. and Rebecca told me, I've got a video of it somewhere, uh, that she was expecting. She spoke about 300 words in about two seconds. What? Uh, she proclaimed and told us that her and Josh were going to be having a child. And then she said, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> that was tough. I wanted to tell somebody. Some of you here today are like, Pastor, I can't believe you didn't tell me that. She told me, don't tell anybody. And then she said, on my birthday, you can tell people. And she said, I want you to tell people because I don't want to have to tell everybody. You tell everybody. So she said, you can publicly make it known that I'm expecting. Now, she's getting so fat, most of you already knew. But uh, I can publicly make it known. Baptism, it's a way of saying, hey, I don't, want to keep this, I don't want to keep this a secret. I want to make it public that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism does that. Number two, it illustrates Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism in a very real way is a picture of what happened. It, it pictures that death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ it pictures the death and burial of the old man and the resurrection of the new man in Christ and how wonderful that is the case. And number three as well, baptism instructs others what's taken place in our life. An old life's been buried. A new life glorifies God and risen up in his place. Romans tells us in chapter 6 and verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. There's nothing more rewarding. Nothing. I want to talk about this this afternoon a little bit. But 
going to get a focus on it again as we kind of circle the wagons back this afternoon. But there's nothing more rewarding, Christian, than getting to point someone to Jesus Christ. Nothing better than that. Nothing better than being able to tell someone about the forgiveness that is available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing better than saying, hey, I, I've got the answer. I, I've got the answer. Friday night, I was down in Airdrie, and they had a Christmas banquet, Airdrie Baptist Church. And they had a gingerbread house-making competition. Your mom was really trying to win, Alex, by the way. She was pretty depressed she lost. But they were working on it. And, and my, one of my jobs that night was my wife and I were to be judges. And I like judging people. I, uh, my wife loves it too. Yeah, we were walking around. I'm looking at stuff. And we were supposed to judge the, uh, the most perfect gingerbread house. And, and I took by that that looked like, you know, the, the, the picturesque picture of a gingerbread house. And then there was the most unique house. And then the third category was supposed to be the biggest failure. Now, as I walked around, I didn't see any failures. I thought, man, we can't call somebody a failure here. These, so I asked Pastor uh, Friesen, I said, hey, can we change it to the weirdest? And uh, so we did. And uh, amazingly, Hannah was part of the weirdness of that one. But as I was walking around, as folks were making the gingerbread houses, they opened the package, and they're trying to open up the icing that's tubed and folks were struggling trying to open it up I saw someone and I, they had a pla uh, they had a, a table knife trying to cut it and I pulled this out of my pocket and I, I said here would you like to borrow this well you thought I pulled a machine gun out brother Amad. I had a knife in my hand and they took it and cut the tip off and closed it and gave it back to me and I walked around and I saw somebody else they're trying I said here would you like to borrow a knife? And I hope you want to use this. And, uh, oh, yeah, thank you very much. I, I realized I had in my pocket, I had a tool that was useful to help with the problem. I have the answer for a lost world. You and I have the answer that's needed. It's the gospel. And we can share it everywhere we go. We have opportunities if we take them. Christian, may we... As a church, may we determine that we want to strive together to reach souls for Christ, determine to be a Christian who, like these first century believers, shines brightly, shines brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what goes on around us. We just need to step up. And exercise those characteristics of the soul winner we read about a moment ago and talked about in Philip's life. Obedience. Urgency. Boldness. And let God, His Spirit, and His Word do the work. How wonderful that would be. By the way, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, I'm not really sure that I've ever placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I, I don't know that I'm ready to stand before a holy God. Can I tell you that going to church and doing good deeds and religious things won't get you ready to stand before God? Only believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. 
And this morning, she said, Pastor, I don't know that I've done that, but I want to. She come this morning, let someone share with you and sit down and help you make that decision this morning. The same decision that this man made 2,000 years ago. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Would you make that decision this morning, Christian? Would you make a decision that you want to be a soul winner for Christ? That you want to strive together as a church that we would pull together for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have. Lord, to be reminded of Philip and these other believers in the early church. These people that made it priority to tell the gospel. To point people to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that there be one here this morning that knows you're not a savior. Lord, I pray they would not see me. They would not see this church or the people here. But, oh God, I pray they would see you. I pray they would see that you love them so much that you came. 2,000 years ago, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You never sinned. You were perfect. You were holy. And yet you allowed wicked men to beat you, to nail you to an old rugged cross, and there you would shed your blood, your perfect sinless blood, and die. Be buried and three days later raise again from the dead to pay our sin debt, to make it possible that we might have our sins forgiven, that we might have a home in heaven. Lord, I pray if there's one here that knows you're not a Savior, I pray today that they would believe they'd place their trust in you. Lord, I pray as Christians here today, Lord, the members of this local church, I pray that we would strive together, Lord, to be the kind of servants that you could use to reach others with the gospel. God, would you work in hearts this morning during this time of invitation. Lord, as you have talked to us, through your word and your spirit today, God, would you help us to take a few moments to talk with you in prayer about what you want for our life. Lord, may that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen.